When I was, uh, when I was a, a, a younger a younger person. When I was a child, uh, I, had a, I had a major financial breakthrough happen as a kid. As a kid. Are you ready for this? My, my local church hired me and my brother to be the custodial staff of the church. And we were so excited. Uh, my dad was the pastor, and so we, were, we had an in with the boss. And uh, they had a person that was doing the work, and then that person wasn't able to do it anymore. And so my dad thought it would be a great idea to hire two people for, the, for one person's job, right? And my brother was uh, 14, and my older brother, and then I was 12. And it was a big move, right? And I went from cleaning my bed, cleaning the house, getting paid nothing, to now I was working at the church, they were actually going to pay us some money. And it was, the benefits weren't that great, but the pay was awesome. They paid us $50 a week, $50 a week. Now, when you are 12 years old, that, that's, like, that's like drug dealer money, right? I mean, you're, you're like just rolling in it. You're like, what in the world am I going to do with all this money? You're 12 years old. Well, uh, there was a, we had a board member at the church, and she did a little research and discovered that it is illegal for 12 and 14-year-olds to be handling cleaning supplies, and so my career as a custodian was cut short as, my, as we were let go. But, uh, it, it, we, so we worked for about five or six weeks before this happened, and, and I didn't spend any of my money. I was putting all my money away because there were two things that I really wanted. There were two things as a 12-year-old that I really wanted. I wanted a, it was 1996, right? So do the math. I was 12 years old. 1996, I wanted a Mongoose Menace 20-inch BMX bicycle. Please put this up for me, right? In all of its glory, right? That was the bike that I had wanted. It was also the only bike that I could afford. But nonetheless, I, that's what I wanted. I was saving my money because I wanted two things, remember? I wanted this, this bike uh, so that I could, I could retire the Schwinn and kind of be back in the cool crowd. Crowd, uh, but this is what I wanted. But I also wanted, and why I was saving up my money so I could buy both things, I also wanted, in 1996, I, was, I played basketball, and Michael Jordan was a giant, giant figure back then, uh, and I wanted the Air Jordan 11s, right? So put this up for me. This, this is what I was dreaming about, right? Which, in my opinion, are still the best Jordans ever made. The patented leather Jordans, I mean, you could see yourself in that patented leather, right? On the side. But I wanted two things. But because my job was cut short, I could only afford to buy one thing. And it was during that time that I learned a very valuable and important lesson. That in order to gain one thing, I had to give up another thing. That if I wanted to gain this thing, that meant I had to give up this other thing. What do you think won out? Come on. If you think it was the shoes, raise your hand. Hands up. Okay. If you think it was the bike, raise your hand. All right, well, the majority won that uh, uh, one, and I, I went and got that BMX bike, and I rode the wheels off of that thing. But have you ever, I'm sure that you've had that, that experience too, right? I'm sure you've had this experience where you, you want, in order to gain one thing, you had to give up another thing, yes? Right? If you've ever wanted to uh, gain an education, right? Is anybody, college, trade school, anything like that, right? If you ever wanted to gain an education, what are you giving up? Shout it out. What are you, what are you giving up? Time, what else? Money, what else? Late nights, is that what I heard? 
relationships, yeah, earning potential, right? In order to gain this thing, I had to give up another thing. Or if, if you ever wanted, to, uh, if you ever wanted to, to gain financial freedom, what do you have to give up? You have to give up going into debt. You have to give up certain purchases. You have to give up certain things in order for you to grab this other thing. Or what about this? In order to gain that body, come on, follow me, right? In order to gain that body, what are you giving up? Cake, right? What else? Everything, right? It's like anything that tastes good, I've got to give it up to get the thing, right? Or, or how about this one, last one? If you wanted to gain some kids, what are the things that you give up? The answer is everything, right? Right? Everything is the answer to that one. But here's, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that the same is true when it comes to our faith and the things of God. The same principle applies when it comes to our faith and when it comes to the things of God. If we want to gain uh, uh, what God has for us, if we want to gain God's best for us, it also involves us giving up something. Now, that being said, the surprising thing is what God asks us to give up. And that's where we're going to go this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of John, so you can move in that direction. We're going to be in John chapter 11. And I'm going to give some context, uh, Ivy, real quick before you put it up. So in John chapter 11, before we get in that, we've been in, that, in this series, as I've been mentioning, where we're deconstructing so we can reconstruct with who God says that he is. Now, just as a little quiz, those that have been in this journey over the last couple of weeks, what was the, what was the first I am statement of Jesus? I am the bread of life. Very, very good. I was a little nervous about that one, right? I am the bread of life. And then week two, week two is what? I am the light. He says that I am the light of the world. Anybody that follows after me will never walk in darkness. And then week three, we looked at Jesus saying, I am the, the gate. The gate, yes, that I am the gate. And what we looked at is that we're all trying to access this good life for our life. But what Jesus was saying is that I am the gate to the good life. I am the way that you get to experience the good life. And then, and then last week, we looked at the good shepherd, that I am the good shepherd. And those that will remember, if you, if you missed it, you can jump on the podcast and listen over the last couple of weeks, that shepherding was this metaphor for leadership. And they did not experience great leaders all of the time, the nation of Israel. And so when Jesus gets on the scene, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good leader. Because the truth is, is that we're always looking for leaders and lifestyles to help us experience the good life. And so Jesus steps in, he says, I am that. But what we're going to look at this week is one of the more profound statements that Jesus makes in these statements, in the I am statements. But before we jump into it, uh, what we have is, over the last uh, few weeks, Jesus, has, his context was important. Remember, he, was, he would show up at these festivals. He would show up at these places that had a lot of meaning, and that's where he would make his declaration of who he is. But today, he's kind of stepping away from that. He's not in any of those settings, but rather, he is with his disciples, and that's where we're going to pick up his story in chapter 11, verse 1. So if you got it, would you say, I got it? Okay, well, we're going to have the words on the screen just for you, just for today. It says this in verse 1. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. Say Lazarus, right? It's not really a name we use very much anymore. Lazarus. Wasn't there a department store? 
called Lazarus? What am I thinking of? What was it? Yeah, yeah. See, yeah, he grew up in Ohio too, so maybe it was just an Ohio thing, right? There you go. You're like, what in the world do y'all do in Ohio? So, so we got Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany. Now, all of these details are important. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, in parentheses, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, the Bible, you got to understand about the Bible. When you read the Bible, the Bible is incredibly economical, meaning they're not putting stuff in there that doesn't have any significance. And so what you have is that you've got these, this list of characters. You have Lazarus, you have Mary and Martha, and those that have you know, read scriptures, you probably have heard of Mary and Martha before because they've interacted with the life of Jesus on a, on a number of different ways. Uh, in fact, do you, if you remember, what, what, what's Mary and Martha kind of famous for? What's kind of their story? Ye- yelled out. Come on, what's their story? Mary, Mary is the one that, is, uh, that sits at Jesus' feet, and Martha is the one that, that gets busy, right? And in Luke, I think it's chapter 10. So, so they're kind of the people that Jesus knew. And also we hear about Lazarus, that Lazarus, for some reason, they're letting us know that he was sick. Now, we don't know if it was a life-threatening disease thing. We don't know any of those things. All we know is that he was sick. But it lets us know that these were people that Jesus cared about. These were, these were people, they weren't just people that showed up and, and were, you know, part of the masses and just, hey, help out over here. It was people that, they, that Jesus knew and he cared a lot about. That's why when he goes to Jesus, the, the, the summons is, the one you love is sick. Now, how many of you here, when you hear the one you love is sick, you're going to do something about it? Right? Say yes. Say yes. Right? Those that, anybody have children in the room? Raise your hand. Let me see. Kids, 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 kids. Right? As soon as you, you don't even need to hear that. You just need to hear what? A little whimper. Right? And it's like, oh, you're moving heaven and earth to get to them. Right? Same here. So, so the one you love is sick. So character is important in the story. The other part is the location. It lets us know that he's in Bethany. That's important because what we're going to learn is that where Jesus was and where Bethany was was only about, about separated by about 20 miles, meaning that you can walk about 20 miles in a day. Now, how many, how many know that that would really slow down your lifestyle a little bit, right? If you're having to like, oh, when's the party? Okay, I'll be there Thursday, right? It's like, it's really, it's like, but 20 miles away, they could have done that in about a day. So these details are important as they, as they set it up here for us. But that phrase, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, I, I want to ask a question and I need some help from you. I want to know what are some of the things that you care about? What are some of the things that you care about? Come on, this is a safe place. No one's gonna judge you. We'll turn off the the microphones. No one will hear you recorded, right? But what are the things that you care about? Come on, yell it out to me. Kids, great. What else? Money, family. What else? Safety, house. Great. What else? What what is it? Parents, your parents, right. What else? Job, is that what I heard? Job, education. Great. What else? Significant other. Great. What else? Spiritual connection, great, great. What else? I didn't hear, I didn't hear Chick-fil-A in these answers at all, right? I didn't hear Padres at all. What was it? 
God, there we go, right? Uh, you can always, if you just yell out Jesus, that'll be, the answer will be right like 90% of the time in church, right? But what are some of the other things you care about? Significant other, relationships, right? right? Does anybody care about the world? What's, yeah, okay, we, we care about that stuff. What was it? For the peace, right? We care about peace. We care about big themes like hope and joy, right? We, we care about that kind of stuff. But do you ever wonder this question? Let me follow up question then with this. Do you ever wonder if, if God cares about the same things that you do? Do you ever wonder if God cares about the same things as you do? Maybe he doesn't care about Chick-fil-A as much as I care about Chick-fil-A, right? But, but, but do you ever wonder if, how much does, does God care about these things too, because this is important as we jump into this next passage. In verse 4, when Jesus hears this, says the sickness will not end in death. How many say that is good news? Say that's good news, right? That's good news. Not going to end in death. That's great. No, it's going to be for God's glory. Awesome. God's going to use this thing for his glory, which means it's, it's got to end up good for me, right? Turn to your neighbor and say hallelujah, right? Let him know. This is going to end up good for me, right? All the things that I care about, my job, my family, my, my money, all the stuff, you know, those things are sick, right? Has anybody's money ever felt sick before, right? Say, yes, it is. That's why I'm in the church today, right? But it's sick, and, but we're thinking, oh, well, this is good. This is good. It's not going to end in death. Thank you, Lord. Not going to end there. It's going to be for his glory. So God's son might be glorified through it. Now, Again, it's reiterating. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, right? This has to be good. Jesus is on his way. He's the son of God. It might take one person a day to walk 20 miles, but this guy can just teleport like that, right? He's on his way. He's coming here. He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, what? This is the thing that you care about. Think about this. When you think about this for a moment, go to that place where money was tight, right? And you have no idea where it's going to come from. And you're praying and you're asking God for a miracle. You're asking God to do something. And, but, but your rent is due tomorrow, right? There's no, there's no time to have a philosophical conversation about this. Rent is due tomorrow. And then you get an answer back. Oh, good news. God is on his way. He'll be here in two days, right? You're like, that does not help me out at all. Where are you? And he stays two more days. What do we do when the things that we care about, it feels like God doesn't care about these things either. And here's the thing. It's not that God doesn't care. It's that we are limited in what we can see and experience in the moment. It feels like it gets real serious, but God wouldn't let it go all the way, would it? How many of you been there, right? How many of you are like, God, you can test me a little bit, right? God, you can test me a little bit. You can test me up until this point. It's like, that's where, you know, if we get over there, it's going to get real serious. Like, if I don't have a job, if I don't get an email back, right? If, if, if I text her to go on a date and I don't hear any, you know, I'll give her 24 hours, right? It's like, God, let's not, nah, let's not go out that far. Let's not get out there. But, but, but God, you can test me up until this point. You can test me up until this point, right? It just tells us that God waited a little bit. Okay, God's timing was it my timing. But he's on his way. But he's on his way. Surely God would not let this thing fall through. Surely God would not let this thing die. 
Let's continue reading. In verse 11, Jesus has to tell the disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going to go wake him up. But his disciples didn't understand what he was talking about. Lord, if he sleeps, then he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples just didn't get it. And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. So you may believe. And so it gets to this point where all the disciples knew who Lazarus was. And they knew that if it, if it got to that point that it wasn't going to end well. And sure enough, Jesus, the Son of God, allows it to get that far. And Lazarus is dead. Now I want to point out two quick things this morning. The first one is that, if, again, student of the Bible... This story, is a, it takes up quite a bit of real estate in the book of John for a reason. Because this story is what's called a parabolic story. Say parabolic story. It's a parable. It's a parable. Meaning what, God, what Jesus is doing is that he's using the story of Lazarus to tell another story. He's using what's happening in Lazarus' life so that, and he's telling a story of what's going to happen in his own life. Now, a major component of the story is that Lazarus was dead. If I didn't get that clear enough, go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, Lazarus is dead. Tell him. Right? Turn to your other neighbor and say, that is depressing. Right? Let him know. That's depressing. But Lazarus, and, and they, they are going to, if you read this, there's 44 verses in this passage. If you read this, it talks about dead, dying, like numerous, numerous times. Because the author is like, this thing was dead for a reason. Because they want everybody to know when Jesus tells his story that, that he was gone. There was no chance of resuscitating it. There, you know, there, was, there was no second chances. There was none of that thing. It was, it was dead. But there was also this, that there was a well-known Jewish belief uh, around that time that the soul of a dead person remained in the vicinity of the body, hoping to re-enter it for three days. But after three days, decom- decomposition set in. And the soul departed. And so the numbers are important here as we get into it. That the, being dead this long, there was an importance why it said four days, not three. Because there was zero chance of Lazarus making it back. Now, I want to point out this part of two. That dead is dead and it's devastating. That dead is dead and it's devastating. Now, you don't have to raise a hand, but has anybody in the room ever, ever experienced death in your own life? Right, right? Um, when I was about 25, uh, my, I was actually living out, out here in California, and my dad had been sick with cancer for a number of years. And I got a phone call. It was Memorial Day. I'll never forget any of the details. Memorial Day. And my brother called me, and he said, hey, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just letting you know dad's not doing good. And so, you know, hung up the phone, thought about it for a minute, and then just immediately made a decision. I needed to fly home from L.A. Uh, back to Ohio. And so I get there. I get there on a Wednesday evening. My dad's sitting at the kitchen table, and uh, he's in a lot of pain and, and uh, clearly, like, not doing well. But my dad had, had always, like, got to this point and then, would re- and then would rally. Always get to this point and then would rally. Never got all the way over to that spot. And so he's home. I'm home and, you know, and, and uh, help, him, help him from the kitchen table that night. And we get him, get him into his bed. Uh, he had, had a hospice bed at that time. And so we, we get him into there and... Uh, I think I slept, I went to bed that night, and then next day, Thursday, spent all day with him, uh, you know, in his room. He, again, was in, you know, a lot of pain, and 
uh, I spent the, spent the night with him in his room in, in the chair, and, and we're, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk with him, have conversation with him, and, um, and it was, this was kind of a cool part. It has not anything to do with where we're going, but I'm talking to him, and uh, I, he's, he's saying something, and my dad was a pastor, and like, so it must have been just hardwired into him. You know, he's just praying the whole time, like, God help me, God help me, God help me, and, and, and there was this one point where he seemed like he was having a conversation with somebody, wasn't me because I was, you know, I was just in the room and uh, and I remember I was like, Dad, I was like, who are you talking to? And he's like, I'll have to tell you about it again someday. And then, and, you know, that was really the only conversation we had that night. So I, my mom came in about seven in the morning and and you know, kind of let me go go to bed. And uh, then I then I woke up. I, I came upstairs and. Um, you know, everybody was kind of in the kitchen. My brother was in another room. And so me and my older brother, uh, we went back to, the, back to his room and uh, he, my brother was with him. And, uh, and, and sure enough, like breathing started to slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. And then he was gone. He was gone. And it was one of the more uh, bittersweet moments of my life because, I mean, Super sad, obviously, you know, to experience that, but also um, to be able to be with him when he breathed his last was a, was a memory that I'll take with me forever, right? But, but I think about that story, and I think about what Jesus is communicating here, and I think about, that, isn't that how it feels in our own life? When you, when you have something that you care deeply about, maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was a hope, a dream, you know, maybe, maybe it was a, a marriage, maybe it was a child. When you have something like that and it feels like it dies, doesn't, doesn't, isn't that how it feels? Like, like it was just the, no more breath and then it was gone. You see, death is devastating. And I want us to feel the, the bigness of that moment because this is what Jesus is communicating through this passage, is that Lazarus was gone. But I want you to see something. I want you to see how Jesus responds in that moment. Turn to your neighbor and say, I hope he says something positive, right? <laughs> Look at how Jesus responds. In verse uh, 15, so, so after Jesus tells them that Lazarus is gone, at the end, he says, but let us go to him, right? Now, how many here, you're reading this story and you say, where were you two days ago, right? Why didn't you do the miracle before? But it says, but let us go to him. Then it says, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four Days. Now, in their time, in their culture, when someone would, were to pass away, they would, they would immediately begin to work to get them into the tomb that day. Within 24 hours, the, the person is, is you know, uh, mummified and, and put into the tomb, probably for disease reasons or whatever, you know, we don't know, but they would put them into the tomb. And so when they show up, there's, but then people would come to the house and they would, you know, they would, they would mourn. There was a time when I was, uh, I spent some time in Africa, in uh, Nairobi, and uh, while I was there, uh, the family that I was staying with had a, had a life group member whose mother had passed away suddenly. And, uh, you know, I grew up here in the United States. I grew up in America. And, like, how many know that we give people lots of space here in America? Say yes, right? 
It's like, oh, that person's car broke down. They probably need a little bit of space today, right? Oh, I noticed that they didn't get as many likes on their Instagram. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, leave them, give them a little space, right? So we kind of, I grew up in this culture where it's like, oh, man, that is so heavy. But in their culture, very different. As soon as it happened, we're going over there. So here I am. I don't even know who they are. I'm at the person's house. Like, the, the, you know, the, the woman is still, still in the thing. And then all of a sudden, all these people started to come over, come over, bring in food, bringing things, and like crying, like son is like kind of like losing it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what, what am I doing here, A, B, this is, this is so interesting, and this is what happens, this is what happens in their context and cultures, that when someone would die, everybody would show up, so everybody's coming, everybody's showing up uh, at, at, at Lazarus's house, and, and here comes Jesus, he's showing up too, but I want you to hear this, even though Lazarus was dead, he, Jesus still entered into the reality and the devastation of the moment. And the same is true for us this morning. That in those areas where we have experienced death in our life, in those places where we've experienced death, where it felt like God could have done something, but he, for whatever reason, he did it. In those moments when you feel that, I want you to know that Jesus enters into that moment with you. That Jesus grieves with you. One of the hardest things to do for a pastor is, is to be with a family when they have experienced loss, especially when it is, it's bad loss, right? Because, because they're looking for answers to me, and honestly, most of the time, I got nothing. There's nothing I can say in that moment that's going to bring the person back. There's nothing I'm going to say that's going to bring comfort but the, but the beautiful thing, and you need to hear this, but even though maybe you're not experiencing it right now, is that when you're in that moment, Jesus enters into that moment with you. And he wades into that, the devastation of that moment. He says, let us go to him. I know, he's been in the tomb four days. Let us go and be with him. Jesus enters into the moment with us. But he also does this. Is not, not only does he identify with us in the death, but he speaks life where there was death. Say amen. Right? Say amen. Look at verse 21. It says this. Martha finally gets to Jesus and says, listen, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, how many of you have prayed that prayer before? Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, I've prayed that prayer before, right? If you had been here, that would not have happened. But I know, here she's exercising her faith, that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Now, in John, remember that sometimes Jesus says things and they, they kind of have a double meaning. They mean two different things. And then it kind of sparks this kind of conversation. Uh, hold this slide for a second. Where they start talking about the resurrection. And, and again, this is a little Bible knowledge for you. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection, but it was this, they, they always talked about what would happen in the end. Nobody knew, but everybody believed that it was when you died. Everybody believed that resurrection in life happened after you were gone. And so Martha says, listen, God, I know, Jesus, I know that it'll happen in the last day. I, I, I understand that, and I, and I know I've got faith, even though this thing was so devastating and hurtful. And by the way, Jesus, you could have been here. Right? Even though there's that, I know someday he'll rise again. But then Jesus goes on and corrects her. Next slide. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. 
And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus is separating it. He's not talking about some theological point about when you get to this spot, that God will raise you up on that day. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Meaning that as we enter into relationship with him, it's not, resurrection and life isn't something we experience over on that point. Rather, it's something that we can experience today. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Relationship with me, as you walk with me, as you know me, as you experience me, you can begin to experience resurrection and life today, in this moment. What does that mean for us? That means the things that we cared about, right? Those conversations, the things that we cared about, in the places where we have felt death and we've experienced death, whether it was marriages, it was a relationship, it was kids, it was my job, it was my hopes, it was my dreams, what Jesus is saying is that I am the resurrection and the life, meaning those things can have life again too. You see, it's not just some sort of ethereal discussion. It's not just some, some thing that's way out there. The reality of it is that Jesus wants to be resurrection and life in your moment now, today. Go ahead and back up off that point because y'all are getting a little reckless out there, a little rowdy, okay? But Jesus says that he is the resurrection, and the life. And the other part from that passage is that Jesus gets the final word. Jesus gets the final word. Not death, not your experience, not your situation, not your circumstance, not what you've been through in your life. That is not the final word in your life. Jesus, if you allow him, Jesus gets the final word in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. But that just brings to this point real quickly. To, to experience that, then we have to regularly remind ourselves that God isn't limited by our limitations. How many of us, see the beautiful thing about this narrative and the beautiful thing about Jesus being able to conquer death, hell, and in the grave is that there's nothing left to conquer. If, if the person can, it can conquer death, what else is there to beat you, Right? How many of us, we get so down about our circumstances, we get so down because so-and-so has a better car than us, because so-and-so got the promotion over us, because they're living their best life, and I feel like I'm, not, I'm living my worst life, right? How many of us, we get so down about this, but what Jesus is saying, because of what I've accomplished, there's resurrection and life now, in those moments, over those things, But we have to remind ourselves, we have to regularly remind ourselves that God, I might be limited by my limitations, but God is not limited by my limitations. That thing, that thing that I want to see come to life again, that experience that I want to have come to life again, God is not limited by my death. He's not limited by my limitations. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's go, right? Let's go. So we see the compassion of Christ. Death is devastating, for sure. But we see this part about Jesus that's very interesting. Because it's not, Jesus didn't just do a snap of the fingers, everything's back, A-OK. Rather, Jesus entered into the complexity and the, and the devastation of the moment and being people in their darkest, grieving moments. And he goes to them and he sits with them. But then it doesn't get to have the final word. And you get to see the compassion of Christ. But then we also get to see the power of the resurrection. The miracle is different. This one is different because 
Jesus speaks it before it happens. That's why he says, do you believe this? You see, that's the whole game of this Christian faith and life, is that it's faith. You see, the thing that we profess and we talk about Jesus' resurrection, and you know, that, that's, that's something that you've got to believe before you ever get there. Say amen, right? That's something that you've got to be, yeah, I'm pretty, that's going to happen to me, is that I'm going to rise up again. And so he, he speaks it before the thing ever happens because he gets the final word. But we get to see the power of the resurrection and we get to see Jesus' passion on display as well. Look at verse 38. In verse 38, Jesus once more, it says, deeply moved. Say, deeply moved. Deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And in and, and our English translation, it kind, of, it kind of washed and watered this down. But, but Jesus was furious. It's actually what the word means. He was furious. He was upset. He, that's why they couldn't figure out how do, we, how do we do this. He was troubled. He was upset about it for two reasons. One, he, this was a, a picture of what sin and death brings to people. He was furious about that. Because see, God hates anything that's gonna separate you from him. And so he's devastated by this thing. But he was also upset because here stood the resurrection and the life and they were sad. They were grieving. Now he's not upset with them because they're grieving and they're sad. He was upset because they didn't see the reality of what was right in front of them. I wonder how many times for us in our situations and circumstances, we're dealing with something and we're just getting beat down by the world and God's just standing there saying, let's go. I'm the resurrection and the life. Doesn't mean that we don't have bad days, but my Lord, if your bad days define your life, then you've missed it. Because if the one who can conquer death, hell, and the grave, how hard is it to get you up for work on Monday, right? And so we get to see the power of the resurrection on display. But we get to see Jesus' passion. He's so upset about this. You know, in the, in the, there's a, there was a movie that Mel Gibson put out. It was called The Passion of the Christ, right? We've heard of that. This whole journey for Jesus to Jerusalem when he went to the cross for us, it's called The Passion because he was so moved by the brokenness of the world and wanted to do something about it, was, a, was accomplishing his mission that God had sent him to do. And it was his passion for you and for me. And then we get to see a public demonstration of Jesus by taking away the stone. In verse 39, he says, take away the stone. Turn to your neighbor and say, take away the stone, right? Roll away the stone. I want you to hear this, and, and band, you guys can make yourselves available and ready, but I want you to hear this uh, as we begin to close this morning, is that Jesus, Jesus goes to the place of death, Jesus didn't stay far out. He goes to the place of death and he, he, he commands them to move the stone. Now, you would think Martha and Mary are just saying, hallelujah, something good is gonna happen for me. I just know it, right? Come on, how many of you get in that shower? You sing a little bit every now and then, right? Come on, right? I just know something good's gonna happen. But then what happens? Look at verse, more of the verse. But Lord, but Lord, Martha says, and I love that the author put the sister of the dead man, 
By this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. How many times does God want to do something good in your life, and we respond to with him, but Lord... How many times do we want God to come and resurrect that dead place, that dead finances, anybody? Amen, right? You want, I want God to come in there and resurrect that thing there. But, and when God wants to do it, he says, okay, move the stone. And we say, oh, no, right? Wait, 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 wait. I, I want you to resurrect my finances. Okay, go do financial peace, which means you're going to have to open up your finances to a small group of people. Oh, oh, no, right? We're going to... I said, God, if you go into my finances, there will be a bad odor in there, right? But how many of us, when, when, when we want God to do something, right? It's like, do it, do it, do it. But then we say, oh, no, no, but, but Lord, not that way. Do it my way. We don't, we don't want some sort of public thing. Just do it privately, right? Those of us that want, that want to experience purity in our life, purity, right? God says, okay. I got that. Roll the stone. If you want to gain purity in your life, you're going to have to give up some secrecy in your life. Oh, God, I want want to have a healthy marriage. I want to have a healthy relationship. Okay, roll the stone away, which means that you've you've got to give up your broken past. You can't cling to that anymore. And here's the point. If you want to gain resurrection in your life, You have to give up the dead parts of your life. That's the surprising thing. When it comes to our our life with God, God wants you to experience resurrection in life. That's why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He wants you to experience, he wants you to walk in the reality that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But the way that we access it, the thing that God asks us to give up are the dead parts of our life. so interesting to me that for some of us, we would rather live in the death of the grave than experience the newness that God wants to bring to our life. But you can't have both. You see, in the story, in the narrative, you can't have a dead Lazarus and a new one. (laughs) Something had to give there. The same is true for your life and for my life. I want to experience newness of life in an area of my life, I have to be willing to roll that stone and give God that dead part. If I want to have a healthy marriage with my wife, I've got to be able to roll that stone and give God the the parts that were not that great from my parents. Same is true for me, same is true for you. If you want to gain it, you got to give it up. If you want to gain it, you got to give it up. So this morning, what are the stones that we use to cover our death? What are the stones that we use to cover our death? Are we busy? Make ourselves just constantly busy so we never got to deal with that thing. Maybe it's a substance. I'm just gonna kind of just gonna kind of drink until I forget about it. I'm just gonna change friends all the time. I'm gonna change careers all the time. What are the stones? Because here's the truth, because it's a human experience, an experience that I have too, is that we all put stones in front of our death. We all put things to keep people from the odor and what's going on in there. 
God says, if you want to experience healing and if you want to experience life, you got to move the stone. And I love this, how the story ends. They, they, finally, they finally listen and they move the stone and, and then Jesus calls with a loud voice. And I didn't have time to, to do this justice, but this whole story is very public. Meaning this was not some private thing, private interaction between God and others. It was public. Lots of people knew about this. Lots of people knew when Lazarus died. Lots of people were following Jesus to see what he would do. And then even, even here, right before the miracle, he prays to his heavenly father, which would have been this real public prayer. And then he calls out in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come forth. The scripture tells us that out walks a dead man, is what scripture says. Except he wasn't dead anymore. He was Lazarus. And I love this part too. It's not anywhere in this, but there was a theologian, I think it was D.L. Moody, who said that the reason that Jesus calls him by name is because if he would have just said, come out, all of the bodies would have came out. <laughs> but he says, Lazarus, come out. But I also believe what it does is that it demonstrates the, the personal nature of your Savior. That God knows you by name. Here's the crazy thing. God already knows what's in the tomb. He already knows. We're just hiding it from ourselves and from others. Who cares about them? Lazarus, come out. The cool thing is, let me finish with this verse, and then uh, uh, I'm going to lead us to the table this morning, is that uh, right after this passage in chapter 12, Put this up. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, how many of you you would you would stand in hours and hours of line to see a dead guy, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go check that out. But here's the cool thing, and here's my final point: is that God can use what's in your grave for his glory. God can use, that's the beautiful thing about it. Is that God can use what's in your grave for God's glory. People show up, it's like, yeah, people want to see Jesus, but they also want to see the person that God had raised from the dead. Imagine the impact that that will have on your family, your friends, your influence. Imagine the people that are waiting for you to take a step so that they can roll away their stone too. You see, the thing that we never think about, we never consider, is that what hangs in the balance. We all think that our decisions, as long as it doesn't hurt another person, it doesn't matter. That's not true. God made us wired for, we're literally wired to each other. We're connected to each other. So that when you do something, it impacts me. And when you make a decision, it impacts me for, the be- for better and for worse. But how many, I wonder, just wait, are waiting for you to take a step? Roll away that stuff. One of the ways that we kind of begin to do that is through our Discover class kind of gain an understanding of, of what God's doing, the church, and your part in it. And then that second one, again, is about rhythms. It's about how do I, how do I begin to do that? Would you pray with me this morning? So God, we just thank you for 